while they're while they're going, you can uh, find the book of Nehemiah back in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Nehemiah again today um, for uh, for the continuation of the series that we've been looking at in this in this uh, book of the Bible a series that we've titled "Restored: Pursuing True Purpose." Have you ever? Have you ever uh, gone, uh, spent much time on, oh, a lake or uh, a river of, uh, you know, some, some body of water and, um, and just, you know, say, uh, uh, oh, gosh, I don't know, I was thinking about a time I was, uh, you know, many years ago back in college when we used to drive down from Ellensburg and find a little spot by the Yakima River, and we would put in our uh, inner tubes, and we'd float the river, and um, we would just the river would just kind of take us down, and we would just float, and we'd drift along here and there. And I remember being, um, I remember another, you know, times, you know, being out in a little tiny boat um, uh, with uh, with my dad fishing, and we would go out in the middle of the lake and. We would kind of row out there and find a spot where we think, okay, this might be a good spot for some fish, and we'd cast out there, and and then we would sit there and we'd kind of float around, and and then before we know it, we were we we're in a different part of the lake. Maybe we've drifted over to the sides, and hey, we need to get the paddles out. Okay, get the oars out. Let's get us back where we were supposed to be, so we can, you know, catch the fish where we were. You know, ever experienced something like that? I'm sure you've probably done something like that. Um, we, when we get out on a, on a body of water like that, it's one thing to, to drift about and just kind of enjoy where the, wherever the current leads you. And certainly if you're floating down a river, you're going to drift downstream and hopefully you're going to get to your destination. You're going to be able to put in, in a nice quiet you know, part of the river where you can you know, you can get out and you can continue on with, with your adventures. Um, but uh, when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to our spiritual lives, it is easy to drift. It is easy to be like, like a college student on an inner tube floating down the river and just drifting with the current. It's easy to be like a father and son sitting in a little rowboat in the middle of the lake drifting about uh, the lake with real no, really no direction, with really no purpose. We find, um, when we read the, the, the book of Nehemiah, we actually find that the people are surprised. They're, they're amazed at what they see in God's Word. They encounter God's Word and they go, whoa, we're not doing that. We're not being obedient to God's word as we should be. They find that actually the reality of their situation was that they had been drifting away. They had been drifting away from God. They had been drifting away from God's plans and purposes for their life. Little by little. Maybe it was just one step at a time. But they drift away from it to the point where they didn't know God and they didn't know his ways. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 to 18. I will read them aloud, 
and you can follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen as well. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths, for from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will give us insight into this passage today. Father, I pray that you will help us to have understanding, you'll help us to have humility, that our hearts will be bent towards you, um, Father, that we will hear what you would have us to hear and, and to know. And God, that we'll be faithful this week in being obedient to seek you and um, to pursue you in greater ways through your word. God, that we will pursue your son Jesus and his purposes and plans for us as well, Lord. We love you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the first things I want to show you is that the people pursued intensive study of God's Word. Um, the, first, the, the, the passage starts off with, on the second day. Do you remember what happened on the first day? You remember what happened a couple weeks ago when the last time we were in Nehemiah, we were in Nehemiah chapter 8, we were in verses 1 through 12, and it was all of the people were gathered together on the first day of the seventh month, according to their calendar, according to their calculations, which would have been probably late September, early October, sometime like that. They're, they're there in that part of the year. The harvest has happened. They've brought in most of the, the harvest. Um, and then they're, they're kind, of, kind of closing up that, that period of, of the year. And they're in the seventh month. And remember what happened on the first day. They gathered together as one people. They gathered into the square before the water gate. Um, there, the, the people had built a large platform. Ezra stood on that platform. He read from the law from early morning till midday. There were men up there with him, supporting him, um, giving um, authority to, the, to the, the, the law that Ezra was reading to them. Ezra was reading to that out loud. All the people stood during the reading. Then there were Levites who were going about the people and they were explaining it to them or translating it to them. And then as the people heard this law read, they began to weep. They began to cry. 
And, and Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites said, stop crying and mourning. This is the first day of the seventh month. This is supposed to be a day of rejoicing. This is a, supposed to be a day that we, we rejoice in God's law and in what He has done for us. We've considered the harvest. We've considered the year. We've considered all that He's done for us. He has helped us to build this wall. We have a wall around our city again. We have, <laughs> we have a city gate. We have gates we have doors. We have a, an identity again as a city. This law that we're reading, God's word to us, his revelation to us through scripture is supposed to give us joy, not weeping. That was what was going on before. So when they heard that, and they heard that encouragement, they, they were told, hey, go from here, leave this assembly on this first day, go back to your homes, eat good food, the, the Hebrew word is eat the fat. It meant all of the rich, good foods. Eat the best foods. The, the part of the animal that's the best to eat. Don't just eat your humble breads and, you know, baked with a little bit of oil and some grains and some veggies. No. Have a rich feast. And then they say, and drink wine. The, the, the word there is, the, and the translation in the ESV is sweet wine. It's drink, this, drink the wine that's really good, that's really flavorful, that's going to taste sweet, and you're going to enjoy it, to, and send portions. Remember, they sent portions. There are people who don't have much. Um, go and be generous to them. Help the, give them food. Give them wine. It, make sure that they have something to celebrate with, and the people... We're encouraged by this, by, by the word that they said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So this is all happening on the first day. They're hearing that. They're, they're hearing that encouragement. They're understanding the word, word. They were broken by it, but they responded with joy. They went out and, and obeyed. They, had, they, they obeyed joyfully. And they celebrated together. On the second day, it says that the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe. And what was their purpose in coming together? To study the words of the law. Intensive study. And it's interesting to me that it's all of the leaders of the people who said, yesterday, yesterday was awesome. We heard the word of the law uh, word of God, we heard the law read from early morning to midday. And we understood it and the people understood it. But now the leaders of the people are saying, hey, we need to go further. <laughs> we need to go deeper. We need to understand more. Let's read this again. Let's study it in depth. Let's do some Bible study. Let's do some training. Let's, let's, maybe let's have a one-day uh, seminary here. So that the leaders can study and pursue it. Reminds me of, of uh, Paul's words to Timothy in his second letter to him when he says, and the King James Version says something like this, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman, um, not ashamed, able to, to divine or to, to, to understand, to kind of get into God's Word, understand Scripture, understand 
God's revelation. Study to show yourself approved unto God. So be somebody who can understand God's law. And if you want to understand God and you want to understand His ways, you've got to understand God's Word. You've got to study it. And the people led by their leaders uh, go into this time of intensive study. They're pursuing intensive study of God's Word. And I think that's an example for all of us to take. All of us, every single one of us who have a, a, a position of influence in the life of somebody else. I watched my girls go off to their military ball last night and I was you know, very proud of them. They looked beautiful and they were amazing. But then I thought about the fact that the, the fact that they have influence in the lives of their friends. They have uh, all, all, of the, all of the kids uh, that they went with, the young people that they went with, have all been part of our youth group uh, in the past few weeks, few months, or in case of at least one young man. Uh, he's, it's, been, it's been a few months since he's been there, but he's come to our youth group as well. And I thought about, there's influence there, even with my young girls, and even with our children. When I hear about our children going, saying something like, hey, my friend so-and-so doesn't know Jesus. I want to give her a Bible. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. It's an awesome thing that the influence that each and every one of us has at, at, at a very, very young age. If we were to be people who studied God's Word intensively, what would that do? What would that do to all of the relationships that we have? Our work relationships, our school relationships, our family, neighborhood, recreation, wherever we encounter people. To be able to then share that with others, what God's law and God's ways are all about. Well, look what they did after they found it written. It's so important, this, this phrase here, they found it written, I think is so key. It's, it's the title, I, I titled this message, and they found it written. Because when we, when we look to God's word, when we pursue intensive study, we will find something there. We will find something worth knowing. We will find something that will change and transform us. A week ago, two weeks ago now, I guess it was, sorry, the last time we were in Nehemiah, two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, I challenged us, take a seven-day Bible reading challenge. Take one of our plans back there and, and read a chapter a day and, and use the seven circles questions, or seven, excuse me, arrows, the seven arrows, there's a, there is a circle on the first one, I always get that in my mind. Use the seven arrows questions. Now ask those questions of God's Word. I did that this week and last week. And it's been amazing. It's been amazing what God has shown me. And, how he's, and, and when you ask the question, what does this passage and this story demand of me? After, after reflecting on, on where, where is God here? What, what does this tell us about man? I did this with this passage. I was studying Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 to 18. I said, let's use the seven arrows. Let's dig into this. Let me see what I said. Here's what I wrote. This passage demands that I study God's law and obey it. And that I experience joy 
in God's Word and that I am serious about obedience. And then, I, and then it, it kind of dawned on me the implication of that, that this is going to require that I fight for it. This word demands that I fight for it. Because what has happened to me, which is what happened to <laughs> the Jews here in Nehemiah's day, is they drifted away. They drifted away from God's plans and purposes. They drifted away from God Himself. Let me tell you, folks, you will never drift into God's will you will never drift closer to God. You will have to put ore into water, so to speak. You will have to work. You will have to fight to be with the Lord. You will have to, because otherwise something else will come into our lives and will take us away and will cause us to drift. The winds of the world will blow and we will and then the currents, we'll find ourselves in the current of the world and we will just drift along. And not, we won't be where God wants us to be. That's what I discerned as I was studying this passage for myself, something I needed to hear. But look what they said. They said, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So they discerned as they look at God's word, and they found it written there, that they had not been obedient to it. That God said, here, this is what your life should be like. And they said, my life's not like that. If I want to personalize it which is what I do when I read God's law and I read God's word and I read the Bible and I go, that's what my life should be like. And I go, ah, my life is not like that. I need to, I need to confess. I need to repent. I need to obey. I need to get on with obedience to God. And they found it specifically this, this feast of the seventh month. So in the seventh month, a lot of things were happening in the seventh month. First, the first day was this celebration uh, of celebrating what had happened in the harvest. And then on the 15th day, they were supposed to gather together, on the 15th day of the seventh month, and they were to gather together, and they were supposed to have a feast that lasted seven days. And during that feast, they were supposed to live in booths. Um, another way of thinking about it for us, would be living in a tent. <laughs> They're supposed to live in tents. Every year they were required by God in His law to go camping for seven days straight. <laughs> they didn't go alone. They meant to do it together as a community. Imagine that. Wow. Come, come October, be prepared. We might have to put this into price. We might have to do a seven-day all-church campout. I don't know. Wouldn't that be good? And we could read the Bible all day long, every day for seven days. That would be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? Okay. But anyway, back to Nehemiah and their time, and they were supposed to live in these booths, or tabernacles, or tents, or um, 
the way they built them was they would they put together these little you know temporary shelters and they would cover them with with the branches of trees and that would give them a covering they didn't go okay let's get out all of our canvas tents or skins and we can and uh, they didn't have they didn't have Target or Walmart to go down and get the latest Coleman tent. So they, they didn't have that, but they had, they had the branches and they were, they were expected, they were, they were told by God, commanded by God to celebrate this. And to, to do that, and, and so they said, well, we're not doing that. We've drifted away from that. So let's be obedient to that. Let's, let's do it. Let's call the people together to do this. So in verse 16, the people did. They went out and they they and brought them and made booths for themselves. They, so they had the, the the they brought the the branches of all these different types of trees. They made the booths. They they put them on their roofs. They put them in their courts and in the and in the court of the house of God. So in the in the temple area out or just you know in the court courtyard outside of where the temple was. They would they set them up there and then they set them up in the square at the water gate, the place where just about 15 days earlier they had been gathered together, standing, listening to Ezra um, as he stood on that platform, um, sharing the law of God and. They set them up there, and they set them up in another square. And like, man, there's a lot of places there. They set up, yeah, because they had to, they had to make room for everything. They had to, they, they said that we need extra room. So they said, let's knock out that partition. Let's put some more there, and let's set up some tents out in the lawn, and we'll set up anyway. They were all over the place. They were all over Jerusalem. They were gathered into every place that they could, they could find to set up those tents. And it says this in verse 17, and, all, and the, all the assembly, and listen to this phrase, of those who had returned from the captivity. They're reminded, we're reminded as we read this, that these are the people that had been in captivity in, pre, in previous generations and that they had returned back from captivity, and now they were back in their land. More on that in a second. But they, they, those who had returned from the captivity made booths, lived in the booths, for from the days of Yeshua. Now this is a guy that in the, in the book of Exodus, Numbers, or Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then the book of Joshua, itself is Joshua. So this is an alternate spelling if you're wondering who's this new guy, Yeshua, but he's the son of Nun. That's who Joshua was, the son of a person, Nun, or Nun. You could pronounce it Nun if that's confusing to you. Like he, he did have a father. He wasn't the son of Nun, like no one. He was the son of Nun. How about that? And he says that from the days of Joshua, I'll just say Joshua, the days of Joshua to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. They had not celebrated this Feast of Booths like Joshua had done. It probably had been celebrated uh, for a time, um, even, but, but we don't have a lot of examples of that from, from the Old Testament history books. But it certainly probably wasn't celebrated like this. They probably said, well, that whole booths thing, that was, you know, in the context of the people of Israel in the time of Joshua, it was appropriate. But in our culture today, they, they said, you know, we've got our houses, we've got the temple, we've got all of this other stuff. We'll, we'll just sort of, we'll do a symbolic celebrating of, 
of the tents. Mostly it's about the harvest. Mostly it's about celebrating the end of the harvest. And so we'll just, we'll just focus on that. But the leaders of the people, the priests and the Levites and Ezra, had discerned that that was in God's law for, for the Jewish people and that we should celebrate that law. We should, we should celebrate that feast and we should celebrate booths. And here's the reason why. Because they looked back and they looked at the law. They looked at Leviticus chapter 23 where, the, where this festival, where this feast is described in the law. And they read that. And they read there that we are supposed to live in booths for seven days because God had brought the people out of Egypt during the Exodus. And He had caused them, is how it puts it, He had made them to live in booths during their time. And they came out of Egypt. They had temporary houses. They would set up booths. They would find branches. They would put up these portables. They would live in those shelters while they were, um, while they were traveling through the desert and then through the, in the wilderness. And they realized at this time, in Nehemiah's time, as they looked back in their history, and they said, this, this festival is not just about the harvest and all of the wonderful things and being grateful for that. It's a reminder that we belong to God first. <laughs> and it's a reminder that we are here as temporary citizens. Even here in the land, they were, they were thinking, they, they were thinking, this is Jerusalem. This is the holy city. This is our promised land. We're finally back to this promised land. And then they go to the law, and the law tells them to, to, to celebrate this feast in booths as a reminder that, that they're exiles, that they were there temporarily, that even, even in the most permanent situation you can find yourself in, even in a great land, a great, a great country like ours, founded as it was 236, 37 years ago, something like that. Does that sound about right? Maybe, maybe almost 40, 240 some odd years ago. That even in a great land like ours, founded as it was, in, on permanence, on a constitution, on a declaration of independence, on states and federal government, and all of the rest. And we think, how permanent can our lives be and our futures be for our children ahead of us? And in an instant, it could all be, it could all be taken away from us. And that was what they were experiencing too. They had experienced that. In one instant, their, their land was gone and they were in exile. Now here they were again. And they needed to be reminded that they belonged to God. They were citizens of God's kingdom. And not just, not just citizens of Jerusalem. Not just, not just citizens of Israel. And in the first letter of Peter, he writes to Christians... Throughout, throughout the known world at the time. And he says, and he reminds him, your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Paul reminded his writer, or his readers, 
the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, the same thing. Hmm. What about us? When we look at a, a feast like that, what should it remind us of? We belong to a different kingdom. That We don't just belong to the United States or Canada or any other country that our brothers and sisters uh, live in and, and, and are thriving in or are being persecuted in. But they belong to Christ. They belong to God and His kingdom. This was a great reminder for the people that, who had returned from captivity to remember what God had done in the past and to remember who they were. So the last couple of phrases there. They said, in the, at the end of verse 17 they say, and there was very great rejoicing. It reminds me, going all the way back to verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then here in verse 17, there was very great rejoicing. There was much joy in being obedient to God's law. And in verse 18, it says, Day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. According to the rule. The solemn assembly. There is a joyful obedience. We saw that, we saw that a couple of weeks ago. But there was also a solemn obedience. When we pursue God's law, when we pursue Him through God's Word, and we encounter God's Word, there is a solemn aspect to our obedience as well. That it is serious. That we, we need to obey. Uh, God, God has given us His Word. God has shown us Himself. He has revealed Himself in God's Word, in the Bible, to us. And that to obey is not something we do flippantly or casually or occasionally. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. When he says that since we've... we've oh, what was that, what was that verse again? I, I wrote it down. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. We must pay closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it lest we drift away from it. So there is, a, there is a solemn obedience aspect as well. Hmm. It's interesting when I think about, whenever I read the Old Testament verses, like, like this in Nehemiah, I wonder, okay, so we got an example here of the people studying God's Word intensely. We've got solemn obedience but is that, is that where it stops? Is that where it remains? Because then I was thinking about Jesus. And I was thinking about if we are going to study uh, God's Word, which is a kind of a code word for um, the Bible, but we're going to study God's Word. And then when we read in Hebrews how um, the writer there is saying, hey, we've got the Old Testament word and, and that message, it was reliable. That message held us accountable. But 
how if we neglect a great salvation, a greater revelation from God, how will we escape that? That greater revelation is described in the very first verse of, of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1 refers to the Word incarnate, the Word made flesh, dwelt among us, had His booth set up among us. It was pretty awesome. He left His throne, He who is the exact representation, uh, the likeness of God, Hebrews chapter 1 reminds us. Philippians 2 tells us, being equal with God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, take, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The Word came down. God has not just revealed himself through the prophets, through Nehemiah and through Ezra, to us, but he's revealed himself to us in the form or in the person of Jesus. He came. He came, he lived, and he died, and he rose again for us to show something to us. And then Jesus himself, Jesus himself celebrated the Feast of Booths. Did you know that? In John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, he celebrated the Feast of Booths. And I, I, I was thinking about this. I was imagining the solemn assembly on the eighth day. So remember, seven days they're celebrating this feast in Nehemiah. And then on the eighth day, they have a solemn assembly. And it's hard to understand exactly what was going on um, historically on that day. Um, prior to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, it looked like the reading of the law, the reading of God's Word, was not part of the original tradition, but that they had added that to it during Ezra and Nehemiah's time. Because they thought, hey, we're gathered together, let's get some more Bible in. And so that became a common practice, so that by the time Jesus was celebrating the Feast of Booths uh, in Jerusalem, the reading of the law was a common thing. And they would read from different portions of the law. And they would read um, these, the stories of Exodus. And they would, and, and well, and Leviticus and Numbers, and, and remember all of the stories of the way that God provided for, for uh, His people. He, he gave them manna from heaven. Um, he gave so that they would know that and learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They didn't bake their own bread. They didn't harvest their own wheat. And they didn't, you know, gather up their own grain. They received manna from heaven. And at one point they received quail, um, little birds that they could, they could cook up and eat and, you know, have a little mm, tiny feast. And then it, multiple times... God provided water from a rock. And that must have been part of the, the tradition that came. Because by the time they got to Jesus' time, on that solemn day, they would take the water 
and they would ceremonially, ceremonially pour out this water. And the people would see it and they would re be reminded of the water that flowed out of the rock that, that God had provided for the people. Well, Jesus was there too. He was celebrating there too. And what did he do? On the last day of the feast in John chapter 7, it says, on the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, hmm, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, and they found it written, <laughs> out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. They were going to receive the Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. There was still a, a time when Jesus was going to sacrifice his life and he's going to die on the cross and he was going to be buried in a tomb and he would leave our sins there in the tomb and he would rise to new life, resurrected body, and then he would give, he would send the Holy Spirit from the Father. And the, and the Spirit would be like living water, rivers of living water flowing through them. I imagine that in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, as they're reading the law and they're celebrating the Feast of Booths, um, they're, thinking about, they're thinking about the Exodus story and remembering it. Um, they're probably not thinking about Jesus, were they? They were putting their hope and trust certainly in God and His ways and His Word, and they were being obedient to it. But we, but we get to look at this story and we can see that the solemn assembly, the, obedient, the solemn obedience that they um, engaged in and pursued is fulfilled in Jesus himself who came to provide us living water. Hmm. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we let ourselves drift away from that? I want to encourage us. Yes, I, I want to encourage our church and all, all believers and everyone who hears to study God's word intensely and to be joyful in that and to, and to, and to practice solemn obedience to what it is, and to be joyful in that, because there is a, a kind of seriousness that makes us happy, and then there's a kind of joy that makes us serious. But let's not miss Jesus who came to fulfill this word to us. On the last day, on the great day, the solemn assembly, there's Jesus saying, come to me, pursue me, let your study culminate in me. Let your obedience be fulfilled in me. How shall we respond to that? What is God asking us to do or to be? Maybe it's there are things in our lives that need to be um, repented of. Because God has shown, showing us in His Word something that we need to have fixed. And we need to go to him and say, God, 
I'm broken before you in this area and I want you to do what only you can do in my life. Or maybe, maybe there's, there's some, someone around us who needs to hear a, a, a message of hope from us. A message of hope that their, their lives uh, don't have to continue in brokenness can, but, but can be fulfilled in Jesus. That there is hope in Him. I've seen it happen. And I'm convinced more and more that of our mission to transform lives and families and communities by the good news of Jesus. Because I see it happen. And I see people changed by God. And we need to keep praying for that. Maybe there's somebody out there in your circle of friends and family who needs to hear that message. And maybe you can be one to bear that. I don't know. Maybe there's another way you need to respond to what God has said today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you for giving it um, graciously. I thank you for giving it to us sacrificially because your word to us was not just uh, the inspiration of writers like Ezra and Nehemiah who wrote down their stories and, and others who, who compiled them and published them and, and the writers of the New Testament who wrote down um, the, the testimony of, about Jesus and, and wrote um, the letters inspired by you um, to the churches. But God, you, just did, you didn't do, just do the work of inspiration. You did the work of being born and living among us. And, and you did the work of sacrificing yourself on the cross in the person of Jesus for us. You did the work of rising from the dead so that we could have new life with you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great revelation to us. Father, help us to be obedient with joy, with seriousness, with, with your grace. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.